Hello, this is Lorenzo Della Foresta, and I'm the lead pastor at River's Edge. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us. I hope this talk inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Today is the continuation of a spiritual conversation that has been taking place between you and Jesus. I'm certain that you'll be blessed by His Word, and I believe that God has great things in store for you because you already belong. Enjoy the message. Great. So, so wonderful to be with you today and uh, to be a part of this community of faith that God is just blessing week after week. And it's so great to see so many of you and to see so many coming back. And uh, we are so excited for what God has been doing in this season and what he's going to be doing in the weeks to come. And that's why we're in this series called Fresh Start. And we're talking about how we can revisit the past for a better future. And we see how God puts people in circumstances just like that in the scriptures. And today we're going to be looking at the life of Moses and how God did that in his own life. And how God is able to speak through his life to our own today. And today we're going to be talking about reluctant and Moses is a perfect example of a reluctant leader, of someone who feels that he has been very much disqualified. His actions of the past are haunting him to the day that God reaches out to him. There are so many things that he felt he had run away from, but it followed him wherever he went and it didn't matter how many years he spent wandering and rebuilding his life he always felt like he didn't measure up and if you've ever felt like that and have ever felt like god was somehow keeping you from experiencing your best life or things in your past weren't letting you go for you to be able to live that then this message i'm sure is going to speak to you as it did to me. One of the verses that I wanted to begin sharing with you is actually found in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 11. And we're going to be bouncing around a little bit between two chapters found in chapter 3 and chapter 4. And we're going to look at the areas of Moses's life where he felt where his past was preventing him from experiencing a greater future. In this first verse, it says that when God calls Moses to go back into Egypt, a place that he knew really well because he had been adopted by Pharaoh's daughter and was raised an Egyptian, he found himself in the palace. And so he was, by all intents and purposes, a prince of Egypt. And as a result, he could have ascended to that throne. He wouldn't have most likely, but he could have. And he would have had status and stature and he would have had everything that comes with being a part of Pharaoh's household. But there was a day in which he saw a Hebrew being mistreated. Now remember, they were being enslaved and he was one who escaped the murder of all the firstborn children of the tribe of Israel. And imagine that all of them were in mourning when this occurred. Moses was spared because one day God would use Moses 
in the way that he envisioned. And somehow, Moses had this in his heart. He was torn between his two identities. And if you've ever been torn between two cultures, two places, two identities, two names, two parents, uh, you know, just two tribes, it just feels like you, you never know where you fit. And, and I remember one time when I was, um, you know, being raised in Montreal, I was born here, but I didn't really feel like I was, you know, a Quebecer. My parents were immigrants. They met and married here, became citizens in the early 70s. And, and I was given the opportunity to be instructed in both English and in French, and I did. And, and living my life here, I learned three languages. I had three languages at my availability. And when the time came to fulfill my calling, God put it on my heart to study. And I thought, what better place to do so but, you know, in Italy where my parents are from. And so I went to university there and I started to study theology and I did my first degree uh, in theology in Rome. When I got there, I thought, you know, I would be among my people. But as soon as I arrived there, everyone just kept calling me Americano. I, I wasn't Italian to them. And I thought that was strange. My parents are Italian. I speak Italian. Uh, I have an Italian name. You can't get a more Italian name than Lorenzo. And I'm like... <laughs> I'm like, is it possible that you don't see me as such? And, and they didn't. And then I realized for the first time in my life, I really didn't fit anywhere. Has anyone ever felt like that? And it's like, it's, it's a crazy feeling, not having that identity, not having that place. And, and really, it's something that, that kind of stuck with me until I understood that there was something that elevated that to a place where I would know that no matter what, I would always fit in because God spoke to me one day and he says, Lorenzo, don't worry about the country that you're a citizen of, the people that do not receive you because you are now a citizen of heaven. You belong to me, you always have. And it just clicked and I realized that my life was not to be led and lived by a passport or by a language or by a culture. My life was to be lived and led by being under the headship of my heavenly father. And that I was not a citizen of a country above being a citizen of heaven. And when you understand this, and it doesn't matter how you fit in anymore as much as it matters to know that you fit in absolutely everywhere. That you belong everywhere. Because you powerfully belong to the Father who owns it all. Can we say amen to that? And, and so you are a son and a daughter of the Most High God. And you are in that kingdom. That is your kingdom. And so when Moses gets approached, he's struggling with this identity issue. And, and God reminds him of that identity that is rooted in him. And, and, and then he reframes everything that he's ever lived. And so what happens is that Moses is still struggling with this, as we often do, and begins to formulate excuses. And so what I've done is gone through the story, and I've picked out the five excuses that Moses makes 
so that he doesn't have to revisit his past. There are five things that he says to God so he doesn't have to go back. So he doesn't need to revisit the past. And so the first one is here in Exodus 3.11. And it says, Moses protested to God and he says, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? And who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And so the first thing that, that he says and he's saying is, I am not enough. I'm not enough. The first thing he says, I am not enough. Who am I to go back and do this? And then what he's in essence saying is, don't you remember who I am? Don't you remember what I've done? Don't, don't you recall what it was that I did to disqualify myself in this process so that you would never have to deal with me again? Isn't this why I left? And this isn't, isn't this why I've been hiding out in this desert for all these years? And now, now you come? And, and often in our lives, we just keep dealing with this issue of, of not being enough. And, and we have believe the lies over and over again. And, and not just because they have come from what we would call maybe even reliable sources. And I'm not just talking about ourselves because no one knows this better than, than we do. But I'm talking about where we have heard this from others in our life. Where they have come and stepped into our life and have said that we were not enough. And we believed it. And I want you to see that God challenges this in the life of Moses, and he is absolutely challenging this in your life right now. And I don't care what the reason is that you can still justify why you think you're not enough. Because Jesus Christ has defeated that excuse on the cross. He has made you good enough. He says you were good enough to die for, good enough to give his life up for, good enough to come and make your life his temple, good enough to take up residence in every room in your house that is your life and make sure that no space would ever be occupied by anyone or anything other than Jesus himself. And so right now, if your mind is still somehow telling you, you are not enough, then you know that is not God speaking. That is not Jesus speaking to you. That is Satan. There is no other way to say it other than it is darkness. And it is not the voice that you are to listen to or follow. And so when you hear that excuse, you are not enough, then you know this is not from God. This is not from Him. Let's look at another excuse that he comes up with in Exodus 3.13. He says, but Moses protested. And he says, if I go to the people of Israel, and then I tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? then what should I tell them? 
And, and so the excuse that he comes up with now is that he's not informed enough, he's not educated enough, that he isn't not just good enough, but he doesn't have the answers. And, and often I've, I've felt like that in my role, in my responsibilities, in, as, a, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a community leader, as a, as a pro sports chaplain, all the things that I end up doing, I look at all the times where I just feel inadequate, where I feel like in a moment where I'm being asked a question, I'm like, I don't have an answer to this question. And in that moment, I turn to God and I say, God, would you give me an answer that is adequate for this person? Would you take this mouth and fill it with something decent so that I can give this person some kind of, of a semblance of, of, of something that is meaningful and powerful and impactful so that they will hear that which we need to hear in this moment. That even if I can't adequately answer the question, that you will somehow do that on my behalf. And in that moment, Moses looks at himself and, and he sees what God is asking him. And he's saying, I, I don't have answers. I don't know enough. Have you ever felt like, like that in your own spiritual life? Have you ever felt like that when you're trying to raise your kids or do your job? And everyone's looking to you because it's in your department and you don't know how to do this. Have you ever been asked to, to fix something or do something and, and you can't go to your phone to Google it? And you don't have time to like see a YouTube tutorial on it? Like you just don't have that moment in which you can just say, excuse me, while you, you run to the bathroom and hope you have strong Wi-Fi? Like that, that's... Often what we do in situations like that, but, but what happens when you don't have the answers? Well, what Moses is being told is that, Moses, you can rely on me. The answers aren't going to come from you, they're going to come from me. And God doesn't just tell him who to say he is, but then he gives him something. He empowers him with a staff. And with that staff, he says, you're going to be able to go into settings and you're going to be able to represent my power in a way that you could never do on your own. Now, the difference between Moses and Jesus in the scriptures is that um, Jesus didn't have a magic stick. He didn't need it. Jesus was all magic. Does that make sense? Like he was in the embodiment of God's presence. So he didn't need the staff. So God didn't have to put his power into something that he could then carry around with him. And so wherever Moses went with his staff, he was bringing the power of God with him. So we know that when he, you know, would, would put that, that staff down, like things would get out of the way, like, like water, like at the Red Sea, he parted the seas with it. Or he would turn into a snake and eat all the other snakes that were present as a demonstration of how God was greater and more powerful, that there was no serpent that Satan could come up with that could even take God out who had created the serpents in the first place. 
that that staff would be able to do the very things that Moses couldn't do on his own. And I want you to imagine that, that when we feel like we don't have the answers, what God does is that he has made us the embodiment of his son and savior, like he's made us his ambassadors in this world. He has sent us out in his name and he has given us his power to be able to do things in his name. And he showed the disciples this very thing. He didn't give them each a staff. He actually told them, I want you to bring nothing with you. And he sent them out two by two. And when he sent them out two by two, he told them, the only thing I want you to do is use my name. And my name will be enough to provide for you. My name enough will be enough to protect you. My name enough will be enough to show and to reveal my power whenever you will need it. And so in those days when we don't feel like we're enough, or in those days in where we feel like we don't have the answers, God is saying, I can be both of those things. And so Moses gets reminded of this in the scriptures. He gets told that his excuse is not going to stand up to what God has in store for him instead. And here's the third one. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 1, it says, But Moses protested again, and he says, What if they won't believe me? Or they don't listen to me? What if they say that the Lord never appeared to you? In other words, what happens if they just straight out call me a liar? Uh, What if they just basically say that I have no credibility? What if they say that I don't have what it takes for us to believe in you or to follow you? In essence, they were saying, what if Moses asks, they don't see me as a leader? And I know that one of the things that a lot of people struggle with is leadership. I think for some reason or other, we have somehow relegated ourselves uh, to chair number two or just simply to the back of the bus. Like where we just avoid leadership altogether. Where we feel like that's just not who we are, what we're about, what we should be doing. And interestingly enough, I always think I see people who behave like leaders but are not leaders because they don't serve anybody. They only actually live for themselves. And I think one of the most challenging things about leadership is is going outside of yourself, making sure that others around you are actually cared for. A leader doesn't put himself first. A leader puts the safety of his team first. And interestingly enough, Jesus does this in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we kind of visited this passage a few times uh, already. But I wanted to highlight something that I haven't said. And and it's that there was three different personalities in that garden. Uh, Jesus was one of them. And what he does is that he stands out when they come to arrest him. And he says, take me and leave everyone else alone. And then you have Judas, who's just thinking about himself, who's 
trying to build his own kingdom. And the only thing he cares about is his 30 pieces of silver and, and building his own name, his own brand, his own reputation, his own kingdom. And he's like, if Jesus isn't going to take care of me, I'm going to take care of myself. And so he goes out and does his own thing. And he betrays Jesus and the other disciples so that he can set himself up for the future. And then the third person in the story is someone who wants to be a leader, but every time he steps out, he screws it up somehow, and that's Peter. And Peter wants to save everybody in the group, so what he does is he pulls out his sword and he goes after the high priest, misses him, kills no one, and only maims the servant, and the ear is on the ground now. And Jesus had just basically negotiated the greatest rescue of all time by saying, take me and leave my disciples alone. They agree. And then Peter messes that up. And when Peter messes that up, Jesus now has to look at that and says, I'm going to take this ear and I'm going to put it back on. And what he does is that he eliminates what Peter does as a leader in the mistakes that he made. But then when Peter says, I screwed up so badly, I not only screwed up that day when they came to arrest him, but I also messed up after that. When they asked me if I believed in Jesus and whether I would follow him always, I said to Jesus, yes. But when I was asked in front of people who could take my life, I said no. And I didn't just say it once. I said it twice and I said it three times. I denied Jesus three times. So what does Jesus have to do? He's got to go and find Jesus. Jesus has to go and find Peter because Peter has gone back to his past. He's gone back to fishing. And Jesus says, I, I called you away from fishing so you could become a fisher of men. And so now I need you to go and I need you to go and take care of my sheep. I need you to go and I want you to go and feed my lambs. Can we say amen to that? And so we see three different types of, of people. Judas is taking leadership of his own life. Jesus is making sure, is taking care of the life of everybody else. Excuse me. Judas is taking care of his own life. And Peter is trying to take care of everybody, but he's not doing a very good job at it. And in and, and, and all of those cases, right, the only person who's lost is Judas. And you know why? Because Judas couldn't get past his own excuses. And so Judas goes and he hangs himself and he kills himself because he cannot live with the fact that he betrayed Jesus. And even though he gives the money back, listen to this, he still lived in the past. And he couldn't accept that Jesus had already freed him from that past. And in the same way that Jesus went after Peter, after he had resurrected, I assure you, he would have gone after Judas. He probably would have went for Judas first, but he didn't get the chance because Judas took his own life because he couldn't get past his past. And in the story that we are in, we're seeing Moses take into his hands leadership when he sees a Hebrew slave that's being mistreated he kills the Egyptian who's mistreating him. And then he buries his body in the sand. And what Jesus does, he says to him, Moses, I need you to go back to the place 
where the body is buried. Because until you do, you will never be free. Can we say amen to that? I expected that to be a weak amen. Because we all got bodies that are buried. Or bodies we want to bury. That's probably the truer statement. And we want to make sure that we don't have to go back to places that we've left behind. But what God does is going to say to each and every one of us in this room, this is how you are a leader. This is how you show leadership when you go back to the very place that you left, that you ran away from, and you show them a new kind of leader, a new kind of leadership, a new kind of power, one that isn't from your own strength, that takes the life of others and buries them in the sand, but one that is able to rescue a million slaves under the bondage of Egypt. Amen? And God is saying, I want to send you out into the world to set people free. But I can't use you like that until you're free. And so I want to free you first. I want to call you into your place and into your position and into your purpose and into your power. I want to do that with you now. And so what Moses speaks to us about is how no one is beyond that. No one is past that point. How, how everyone had disqualified Moses. And for good reason, God says, that's exactly who I'm going to use so that whenever someone feels that they are not good enough, whenever someone feels that they don't have the answers, whenever someone feels that they're not a leader, they can think of how I used you, Moses, and they can rise from the ashes, they can get out of their past, and now experience the future that I have always promised you. It's a beautiful story. But we still have two more excuses. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, it says, But Moses pleaded with the Lord, and he says, Oh Lord, I'm not very good with words, and I never have been, and I'm not now. Uh, even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied, and my words get tangled. And he's, in essence, saying, I'm not a very good public speaker. It's not, I'm not very eloquent. I've never been one to talk my way out of a situation, which is why there's a dead Egyptian back in Egypt. Like, this is my problem. Like, this is who I am, and this is the struggles that I have, and this is what I'm not good of. Um, how many of you in school would just avoid any form of class if when you had the choice that that required any type of public speaking involved like you just avoided it right and, and and a lot of times like if we think about it most of us just don't enjoy it and we don't like it uh we don't 
feel like we're good at it or something that we want to do every single day. And other of us, like we just feel like, yeah, like I was made for this. Like I can do this in front of people. I can do this in front of the camera or we develop the ability to do it. Like we just get comfortable with it. We weren't at first, but we got more comfortable as we did it and just pushed ourselves and pushed ourselves or the situation pushed us. And, and, and made us go into the uncomfortable places until we got better at it and, and, and felt a little bit more confident and believed that we could actually have something that people should listen to. And, and all of a sudden we, we changed that, that image and understanding of who we were and, and, and how we saw ourselves. And, and then people started to look at us differently. And they looked at us and said, I never thought that you had this in you, that you could do this, that you'd be able to be able to speak this way. And I want you to understand that that's exactly what God did with Moses. He took someone who looked at himself and said, I am not good enough for this part. You should really get someone else. And, and, and God looks at Moses and says, don't you understand? You're the one that I've chosen for this. And what you believe you are not good at, I will make you good at. I will give you what you need to do this. And that could come in the form of someone being added to the team. And in his case, he says, I know you have a brother and he'll come alongside you and he'll help you. But, but Moses, no one can take your place. It still needs to be you. I can put someone beside you, but it still needs to be you. And what we often don't realize is that we're that important to God. We sometimes don't see ourselves as that important. But I imagine all the people that we meet every day, all the people that God puts in our life and on our path, and every time that happens, we just keep thinking, somebody else should do something about this. Somebody else should really help this person. It's a good thing that I have Pastor Zoe's cell phone because I can call him right now and tell him about this need that he has to do something about. Because if he doesn't do it, then he's not going to be the servant of God that I envisioned and imagined him to do it. I know God put him on my path, but he only put him on my path so that Pastor Zoe could do something about it. And we often think like that. But what does God do with each of us? Is that he says that every one of us is his disciple. That we are his apostles. That we are his eyes, his ears, his mouth, his hands, his feet. That when we see people in need, we're not supposed to go to them and say, I'm going to pray for you. I hope God intervenes for you. I hope that God helps you. But we are supposed to help them because God has brought them to us. That responsibility hasn't shifted from us to someone else. It is something that God has put on our path for us to do. I know that we're going to come up with all the reasons why we shouldn't. 
And I'm sure some of them are solid and some of them are good. And I'm sure that some of them have been well thought through in advance because we don't want to do things that would somehow deter us from our main thing, our real purpose in life and our goals. And, and I get that and that's true. And we have to take that into consideration. I know it's important. Sometimes we can feel overwhelmed. It's hard to help somebody when we're going through our own things. It's very hard to be there for someone when we've got to talk them out of something. I can't even talk myself out of bed in the morning. How am I going to do that? I understand. I get it. But you know what I know is that in the moments when we are our weakest, that is when God can be the strongest. It is when we can't that we can see God can. It is then that we can turn to Jesus and he can take whatever excuse we have, whatever weakness is real or imagined, and flip that and then turn us into the people that he needs us to be for the people who need it the most, who he has put on our path to help. Not for someone else, but for us. And there's something that we often don't do. We, we don't ask God, God, in this moment, honestly, like, is this something that I should do? Or do I just make that decision without praying, asking God? Do I just, just say no automatically? Or do I seek God and his guidance in this situation? I know that God wants to lead us. He wants to move us away from our excuses. And especially from things like, I'm just not equipped as a leader, or I'm not a public speaker, I'm not the person who can help this person because I don't have answers, I'm not the person who can do this because, well, let's be honest, I'm not enough. And all of those excuses are going to seem like the right answer in the moment. And they were for Moses, but guess what? It didn't change God's mind about Moses. And thank God, because we saw what Moses did as a result. He gave us the, the commandments. He parted the Red Sea. He brought the ten plagues to, to, to reveal God's power over and over again. He set his people free. And he did all of those things, even knowing that here's the last excuse, that he was never qualified. And in Exodus 4.13, it says, But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please, I love this, send anyone else <laughs> anyone else I don't care who it's just as long as it's not me I mean out of all the people in the world I'm sure there's somebody else why does it have to be me and and I, I love the fact that that in that excuse God just keeps reminding Moses Moses there is no one else that I would rather choose but you and then when he's saying, I'm not qualified, God is saying, I am qualifying you. By choosing you, I qualified you. And I, I think of Matthew, who was still collecting taxes behind this table. You remember that? Jesus walks up to him and he calls him and he says, Matthew, follow me. Now, Matthew was rich. He was loaded, by the way. Like he had a lot of money because he was a tax collector. And we know that because we know how rich Zacchaeus was. And tax collectors were one of the wealthiest people in the town. So when he calls him to leave, like he's leaving a lot behind. But what Matthew does is 
Very surprising, but what's more surprising is that Jesus chooses someone like Matthew. Don't you agree? Because Matthew didn't leave his tax collecting table and started following Jesus around and said, Jesus, choose me, take me, I'll be one of your apostles. Jesus goes up to Matthew while he's still collecting taxes. He hasn't changed yet, guys. He hasn't left his profession. He's still cheating people and he's still working for the Roman Empire. He's still hated by every Jew in that town. Nothing's changed. But what God does is that he walks up to Matthew and he says, in the state that you're still in, I qualify you to follow me. Can we say amen to that? I mean, is this a story just about Moses or is this story for every single person in the scriptures, including us? See, every time we think that we aren't good enough, every time we think we don't have the answers, every time we think we're not a leader, every time we think we're not a public speaker, every time we think that we are not qualified, God is saying, I can change all that for you. And so he didn't take Moses' excuses and he's not accepting ours either. And so in this moment, we have an incredible opportunity to step out into the power and purpose of our lives, the way that God has called us to live it. Are you ready to do that? Would you stand with me as we would close in a word of prayer? As you would take this opportunity to thank God for someone like Moses that teaches us about what it looks like to have excuses and some pretty darn good ones and how God will ignore every one of them because he is able to move us out of our past and into our future. We're ready to experience that. Father, I thank you for every person that is here, for what you've done, for what you're about to do, for the great things that you're going to accomplish in their lives for the excuses that you are challenging, for the words that we say to ourselves to convince ourselves that we cannot, and yet you remind us that we can with you, that you with us, in us, and working through us is exactly what we all need. And I thank you for every person here today, for the way that you are enabling us to revisit our but also, Lord, to be reminded of the incredible future that you have for us. If you can do that for Moses, you can do that for us. And you are able and ready to do it for each of us today. Thank you. As we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us on the River's Edge podcast. I encourage you to take the message you have just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the work that only he can do. A heartfelt thank you to all those that generously give to River's Edge and make this podcast possible. You too can be a part of spreading this message and creating life change all over the world by going to riversedge.life slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast. Thanks again for listening and God bless you immensely.